Oh, look at all of you. I better not. Okay. Might just stare at my notes this morning. Um, this morning's a little bit surreal, and um, most of you know, as Joe said, this morning is my last opportunity to address you as the pastor of Redemption Hill Church, La Habra. And um, if you're a guest with us this morning, that'll explain a few things. <clears throat> the last few weeks have been incredibly humbling for us, for me and for my family, um, as this church family has just poured out love on us. Love and support and encouragement, and none of that is a surprise to us because it's been like that from the very beginning. You've always been that way. Um, but it is incredibly humbling to be loved and cared for so well and so much. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of our family to you this morning. And I've, I've thought a lot about this morning. I've thought a lot about um, what I would say in my last 35 minutes in front of you, though, who am I kidding? When's the last time I preached a 35-minute sermon? And who's going to stop me today? So... But I have thought about it a lot. <clears throat> I've prayed about it at length. Um, if I had one more chance to say something to you, one more opportunity to encourage you as my church family, as my family enters a new chapter of our lives and as, um, and as God continues the work that He has begun here in our church in La Habra, what would He have me say? And what I think it would be is one word. Remember. Remember. Remember a lot of things. Remember who you are. Remember why you came here. Remember what God has done. Remember who He is. And as things become difficult, because they have been difficult and they will be difficult, as things become difficult, help each other to remember. Help each other remember. Remember the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, as Joe said. We're going to talk about the gospel, that word that is in danger of losing all meaning, that word that is in danger of just being overused if we don't understand what it really means. So let me just give you this quick definition. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about who God is and what he's done. That's it. The story of who God is and what he's done, that's the gospel. It's not just our access to salvation. The gospel is not just our opportunity to be saved and to be in heaven with God someday. Though it seems like that should be enough. If that were the whole story, it feels like that would be enough. But that's not the whole gospel. <clears throat> the gospel is something that we can continue to claim over our lives as the followers of Jesus. There's an author, J.D. Greer, who wrote a book called The Gospel. And in this book, he says this, I'll quote this, the gospel is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. The gospel isn't the first thing, it's the whole thing. Do you see the difference? It's not just the first step we take into Christianity. It's every subsequent step we take as the followers of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. Because the story of who God is and what he's done changes everything. And it affects everything. <clears throat> now, I'm quite 
sure this morning that for 95% of you, I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. None of this is going to be new information. You will require, you will, not require, you will acquire no new knowledge this morning. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing new. You already know this, and that's good. I'm glad that you know it. But my hope for our time this morning is that I'd be able to give you a tool that would be helpful to apply what you already know in a way that's actually helpful because it has been for me. And as I think about what could I say to you this morning, that's what I would want. And here's what I mean. We've talked about it before. For years growing up in the church, I was, thought, I was taught just don't sin. Do you struggle with sin? Don't. Are you having a hard time with a particular sin? Stop. Because the Bible says not to. And so when we look at a sin, we would say, I'm struggling with this sin issue. Well, the Bible says don't struggle with that sin issue, so you should stop. And as my brother in Christ, that's my role is to tell you not to do that. Instead, what should you do? Well, you should pray. You should pray and you should read your Bible. You should have a daily devotional. You should have an accountability partner. That way, when you think about sinning, you think, you know what, if I sin right now, I'm going to have to tell my accountability partner. And maybe just that thought alone of having to confess sin will keep me from sinning in the moment. And if it doesn't, then confessing that sin to my accountability partner later, the guilt and shame of that alone might keep me from doing it again the next time. Is that right? Is that good advice? Pray, read your Bible, be in the Word daily, have an accountability partner? Yes. It's all great advice. They're all good things. And they're all... Um, not helpful (laughs) if we don't understand the purpose of those things because none of those things in themselves fix anything. We can modify our behavior that way, but if we don't understand why we should be doing those things, then we're not actually changing anything. We tend to think if we spend a lot of time reading the Bible... And if we spend a lot of time praying that somehow that will consume enough time that we won't have any time left to sin, or that we'll we'll become so pious and so godly through that pursuit that we won't want to sin anymore, we'll kind of develop, like get so much spiritual mileage that sin will become something in the rearview mirror. But here's the problem with that. There are elements of that that are actually true, but here's the problem with that. The problem isn't that we're just doing the wrong things. That's not the problem. The problem is that we're believing the wrong things. And there's a significant difference between those two. If you're struggling with sin, there's something about God and there's something about the gospel that you don't believe. That's that's the premise that I'm going to put before you this morning. If you're struggling with sin, then there's something about God or the gospel that you don't actually believe. I'm not saying you don't know it. I'm just saying you don't believe it. Because if you believed it, it would be different. And we'll talk about that a little bit. How can I say that that's true? Well, one, because I've experienced it in my own life. We'll talk about that a little bit this morning too. But here's the other thing. What you do is a result of what you believe. What you do comes out of what you believe. Or as we taught the kids at our Palomar retreat in January, your fruit comes from your root. If you're a tree or a plant, 
Your, the fruit of your life comes out of your root. What you do comes out of what you believe. And if the fruit of your life is sin, then you're not rooted in truth. You're not rooted in the truth of who God is and what He's done. We're going to look at a bunch of Scripture this morning. I'm not going to make you go and find all of it. But before we open the Word of God, before I continue, let me, let me just pray for us and for me, and then let's, let's continue. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, I just ask that you'd be here with us right now. I thank you for this family. I thank you for this opportunity. I pray this morning, Lord, that these would be your words and that any of this, as much as it has been helpful to me, I pray that it would be helpful to my friends and my family here this morning. So, Lord, give me the words to say, and I pray that you would sink the truth of your gospel deep into our hearts as we sing it together and as we remember it together. And I just pray that you would bless our time in your word this morning. I thank you more than anything for who you are and what you have done. We can talk about it and forget to thank you for it. And so we thank you this morning, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. This is actually the only passage I'm going to ask you to look up this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use one of ours. We've scattered those around the chairs this morning, and you're welcome to grab one. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that home That's our gift to you. So you can grab it now. You can grab it after the service. But please take one home with you if you don't have one or you don't have one that's ESV like we read out of every week. You're also welcome to just listen in. If you're looking for where we are, Genesis chapter 1, you're going to find us on page, any guesses? 1, yeah. Probably in any Bible, but certainly in ours, that's where you're going to find us. Genesis 1, we're going to start in verse 27. Now, this morning, the word of the day is remember. Remember, that's the word of the day. That means I'm going to remind you of stuff you already know for most of you. And if you have never heard what we're talking about this morning, then get ready because it is awesome. And if you have heard it before, remember how great this is. But I'm going to remind you of some things this morning. I'm going to remind you of two things in particular. The first is, who is God and what has he done? The second is, who are you and what do you do? Or who am I and what do I do, if you're taking notes, okay? I know that's actually four things, but it's easier if we say it's two. It's about God and it's about us. Who is God and what has He done? Who am I and what do I do? Those are the things this morning that we're going to remember. So let's start at the beginning. Who is God? Who is God? Well, how do we know who God is? How do we know? How could we possibly know God? Well, thankfully, He wrote a bunch of it down for us in His Word. This is how we know God. We know God through His Word which He has given us so that we would know Him. And Genesis 1, starting in verse 27, says this. Just a few verses here. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And it goes on and it goes on. We won't go on much further this morning. 
What do we learn about God from just these few verses? If you were to look at this this morning on your own, and I said, tell me who God is from looking at this, what do we see? We see that God formed us. He made us. He knit us together. He is our creator. God created us. We were created like him. It says we were created in his image. So we know that God created us. He knew that we know that he created us to be like him and we were created to be in relationship with him. He created us for relationship and that's what we see in the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. It says that God created us to rule over his creation on his behalf. We were created to be like governors of God, representatives of him in the world, like little kings who answer to the big king. We were supposed to represent God in the world that he created. And God said he would give us everything that we need. You see that in that last verse? God says, I will give you what you need to thrive. I will provide for you. God knows us. He's our creator. He wants to know us. He wants to have a personal relationship with us. He sustains us. He's our provider. But in Genesis 3, we have this problem because Adam and Eve didn't remember word of the day. Adam and Eve didn't remember who God was. They forgot. They stopped believing God. They stopped taking him at his word. They stopped believing things about him that they knew to be true. And then what happened? When Satan came to them and started asking questions like, are you sure that God wants the best for you? Are you sure that he loves you the way that he says that he loves you? Because it seems to me like he's holding back a little bit. It seems to me like God doesn't actually want you to be like him. It seems to me like God is holding good things from you. What happened? They believed him. They believed what he said instead of believing God. They sinned. They disobeyed God's command and they broke the relationship. They divorced themselves from God. Now, I've used that phrase before, and I know we hear that and think, that's a little harsh. They divorced themselves from God. They just didn't, they kind of just made a mistake, didn't they? Didn't they just break one rule? Yes. Wasn't there just one rule? Yes. What was it? The rule that says, I'm God. And you represent me to the world that I created. And I love you and I've given you everything that you need to thrive. And I designed you for that. And I've asked you to not do one thing. One thing I asked you not to do. I asked you if you would just take me at my word and believe that what I say is true and trust me enough that I know what's best for you. That's the one rule that they broke. And when Adam and Eve broke that rule, they said, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, and I don't trust you, and we know better. And now we would like to be God. Thank you. We're not, we don't want to be the little king anymore. We want to be the big king. So we're going to make the rules, and that's how it's going to go from now on. And through their disobedience, Adam and Eve rejected God. And sin entered the world, and all of us have done the same thing. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, everybody sinned, everybody falls short of the glory of God. And the problem is, one of the other things that we learn about God through his word is that God is holy, which means what? He's completely unlike us. It means he cannot be with sin. 
and we're full of sin. One of the other things we learn from God's word that, is that he is just. He has to punish sin. He has to because of his holiness and his justice. So he can't be with sin. He has to punish sin, which means we have a problem because we have sin. We're under the judgment of God. And scripture tells us that the penalty for sin is what? Is death. Eternal separation from God. So we, under the judgment of God, are under a death death sentence, destined to be separated from God forever. Bummer. That's the gospel. But it doesn't stop there, thankfully. God's word also tells us that he is loving. And even in the middle of the punishment of Adam and Eve, he gives this hint, this idea of what's about to come, that God already has a plan to rescue us. Because the fact that we rejected God did not come as a surprise to him. And God hints at that plan right at the beginning, right as he's punishing Adam and Eve. And he says, I got a plan to rescue the people that I love so that they can be with me again. We divorced ourselves from God because of our sin. But because God loves us so much, he didn't give up. He didn't stop. He didn't say, I'm okay with that. He said, I can fix that too. I can fix that too. That's the beginning of God's plan to rescue us and bring us back into his family. So who is God? Well, he's our creator, he's our provider, he wants to be in a personal relationship with us, he's holy, he's just, Uh uh-oh, he's loving, yay! And that's what sets in motion his rescue plan to bring us back to him and reconcile us to him. That's who God is and more. So the second part of that was who is God and what has he done, right? If we know who God is from his word, how do we know what God has done? God's word tells us the story of what he has done. It tells us the story of his love for us, which is most clearly demonstrated through his son, which is most clearly demonstrated through Jesus, God's rescuer. And we talk about this at least every month when we take communion together that Jesus as our rescuer came and lived the life that we couldn't live, a life lived in perfect obedience to the Father. Why is that a big deal? Well, first of all, because we clearly can't. We have all demonstrated our inability to be perfect and to live lives that are perfectly submitted to him. Jesus did that. It's also significant because if I believe that, and I place my trust in Jesus, then guess what happens? You know. Remember, because I'm just reminding you of things you already know this morning. You know what happens. God punishes Jesus instead of me. God pours out his just wrath on Jesus in my place. When I come face to face, face with God, I'm not judged based on my performance, thankfully. I'm judged based on Jesus' performance. How great is that? Jesus who lived perfectly surrendered to God. And we think of that sometimes like, well, that's easy because he's Jesus. But Scripture clearly shows us that it's not easy for him. We look and read through the gospel accounts, even through the book of Luke as we're going through together now. We're only into chapter 7. How many times have we seen Jesus get away to spend time with God in prayer? 
to pray for courage, to understand his will to live in perfect submission to him. We think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane pleading with God to say, please, please don't make me do what I have to do. But even in pleading with God to say, I really don't want to do this, he is submitted to the Lord and saying, but not my will, your will. That's submission. That is complete surrender to God the Father. I will do what you ask me to do, but please don't make me do this unless I absolutely have to. And God says, you absolutely have to. And so Jesus says, okay. So not only does Jesus live the life that we couldn't live, that perfect life of submission to God, but then because God asked him to, Jesus died the death that you and I were supposed to die. We're under a death sentence because of our sin, because of our disobedience to God, and we earned that. Jesus, on the other hand, did not earn that, but instead of pouring out his punishment on us, God pours out his punishment on Jesus, on his own son, and his righteous judgment is poured out on him instead of us. Jesus, crushed by God the Father, instead of you and I, in our place, And when you really think about that, don't you just wonder why? Why would God do that? Well, think about who God is. Loving. God loves you. That's the only explanation for that action. So when we think about who God is and what he's done... I think, wow, God loves me so much that he would crush his own son in my place. Isn't that amazing? That's who God is and what he's done. That's the gospel. So let's recap or try because kids, I know you're here. I know you're here and I know I'm still talking. So I brought some pictures, sort of. They're more like words, but it's something to look at. This is what we're talking about this morning. Remember the gospel, okay? And we think this will work. Hey, that worked well. Who is God? Well, I know who God is through his word, right? That's how I know who God is, through the Bible. The Bible tells me what God is like, and the Bible tells me that he is my creator. He's a personal God who wants relationship with me. He's my provider who will give me everything that I need to thrive. He is holy. He cannot be with sin. He's unlike anything else we've ever known. He is just which is bad for us, except that he is also loving. And he loves us so much that when we think about what God has done, we know what God has done through the story of his son, Jesus. God's word tells us that Jesus lived in my place, Jesus died in my place because he loves me and because he wants to be with me. The story doesn't even end there because after Jesus dies, God raises him from the dead, conquers death, conquers Satan, conquers sin, so that as followers of Jesus, what do we even have to be afraid of anymore? Nothing. Nothing. So, that brings us to, who am I? I think, oh yeah, I keep pointing it over here. Who am I? If that's true, then who am I? When I turn from a right view of God to a Sorry, when I turn from a wrong view of God to a right view of God, we've talked about that before. That's called repentance, right? If I'm created by God for a relationship with Him, 
and I haven't followed in perfect obedience, I've rejected him, I'm, I'm a sinner, but God has offered me rescue, then that means there's something has to happen in order for me to take advantage of that. So when I turn from a wrong view of God to a right view of God, it's called repentance. And when I repent, that means when I turn to God and I believe the gospel, the story of who he is and what he's done, then I'm saved. That means not only do I get to go to heaven, which is what we think of when we think of salvation, but that also means I am changed. I am saved from my old life, and God gives me a new life. We're going to walk through that in a minute through Scripture. I have a new identity. I have a gospel identity. What does that mean? Here's what it means. I'm going to talk a little bit about repentance, and then I'm going to show you a whole list of verses that shows you what it means to have a gospel identity. Okay? Now my, oops. If you can help yourself, try not to read ahead. Um, You probably can't. It's fine if you read ahead, because I'm going to say it anyway. Start at the top left with me, though, if you will. Okay? This is where we start out with the Lord. What do I do? What is the fruit of my life? If I'm this tree, what's the fruit of my life? Without God, if I'm Adam and Eve or I'm a sinner, I, I'm disobedient to God, right? I've rejected him. I've divorced myself from him. I've become my own king. So who do I believe I am? I'm my own king. I make my own rules. I don't need God or I don't want God or I don't believe in God. It could look like a lot of different things, but this is how we find ourselves apart from God. Then what do I believe that God has done? Who do I believe that he is if we just walk down the tree? What has God done? Well, he's given me a bunch of rules to follow. I know that. The Bible's thick. He doesn't want what's best for me. When we think of Adam and Eve, that's at the core of their sin. Satan's saying, I think God's holding back from you a little bit. I don't think God's giving you everything that you ought to have. God's actually withholding good things from you. So then I believe that God is doing that. And when I think of God, I think of God as strict. I think of God as unloving. I think of God as someone that keeps good things for me. He's basically like a strict dad who's going to tell me what to do. Now, is that true? Not a rhetorical question. Is that true? Is God a strict parent who wants to tell me what to do? Is an old man in heaven throwing lightning bolts for his amusement to just see us suffer? No, that's not true. We know that's not true. We just talked about who God is. How do we know that that's not true? How do we know who God is? We know God through his word, which tells us differently. Now, we're going to go from the bottom up this time. Who is God? God is a loving father who wants me to be with him. Now, I can say that, but how do I know that? Well, what has God done to show me that that's true? Well, God knows what's best for me because he created me. So clearly he knows me, probably better than I know myself, not probably. And God gave his best for me. Is God withholding good things for me? Well, he didn't withhold his son, who he crushed in my place so that he could be with me. So is God withholding good things for me? No, I don't think so. So God gave his best for me. He's not holding his best from me. He took my place. If that's true, then who am I? I'm not my own king. I don't make my own rules. I am a deeply loved child of God. The creator, king of the universe, loves me and wants to be with me, wants to adopt me into his family. That's what God's word says. So that's who I am. So then what do I do? 
Well, then I embrace God's plan and I live in obedience. I can surrender to that plan. I can surrender to that God. Why? Because I can trust Him. Because I look at His Word and I look at what He's done and say, that God acts consistently with who He says He is. And if that's true, that means something for me. I'm not my own independent renegade guy that's got to figure it out all on my own. I'm actually loved deeply by the creator of the universe who says he'll give me everything I need to thrive and that changes what I do because then I can relax because I am loved deeply by God and I can say that's a good plan God I like your plan because your plan is actually the best thing for me now and it's definitely the best thing for me later because it means I get to be with you forever do you see how that works and if I look at my life and I look at the fruit of my life I can tell what I believe If I'm living a life surrendered to God's plan, living in obedience, then guess what I believe? I believe true things about who God is. That's the root of my life. And if I'm living in disobedience, whatever that looks like, there's something about God and something about the gospel that I don't believe. So who am I if I'm a follower of Jesus? John 3.16. Sorry, I've skipped one. You know this verse. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the gospel tells me what? That I am loved. I've actually been pursued by the king of the universe. That's who I am. I'm loved by God. That's incredible, that reality. Ephesians 1.7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. One verse that encapsulates the gospel. Do you see that? It tells us who God is. It tells us what he's done. And it tells me what that means for me. It says God is rich in kindness and grace. He bought my freedom with the blood of his son, and I'm forgiven. The whole gospel, one verse. Because of the gospel, I'm forgiven. My sin, my disobedience, my rejection of God is gone. Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Because of the gospel, I am adopted into the family of God. I have a new home in heaven with him. I'm a child of the king. And you know what? That makes God happy. It gives him great pleasure to offer that to us. He's not, like, frustrated about it. He's saying, I have a great thing for you, and I'm excited to offer it to you, and I hope that you would take advantage of it. I want you to be with me. Matthew 28, 19, you know this is the great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Who am I as a follower of Jesus? I am appointed by God. I am commissioned on his mission to follow Jesus and to help other people do the same. That's what happened at Unleashed this last week. People learning this is what it means to follow Jesus and then to teach other people to do the same. That's awesome. God gives us part of his assignment, his plan. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does that mean? That's not just a job. That's not just an assignment. He's saying, I will help you do it because I know you can't do it on your own, so you are now empowered to do it through the very Spirit of God. 
I have the Spirit of God in me to help me follow Him. So God says, I know you can't get to me because of your sin, and you can't make it right, so I will. I know you can't follow me, so I'll give you my Spirit to help you do it. Like what? How much more help do we need? God says, I'll do it all. Just surrender to my plan. I know what's best for you. Sorry, I got, I think, oh, <laughs> thank you, Robin. 2 Corinthians 5, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Because of the gospel, I am different. I'm actually changed by the gospel. Not the same old Dennis, but a new Dennis, rescued, empowered, appointed, loved, forgiven, different. Because of the gospel, I am actually changed. You know that already. Okay, so who am I? We've talked about who God is. We've talked about what he's done. So who am I? When I believe the gospel and I repent, I turn from a wrong view of God to a right view of God, then the gospel tells me that I'm loved and forgiven and adopted and appointed and empowered and I'm different. I'm changed from what I was before. And this list could go on and on and on and on. It is a new reality when I repent and turn to Christ. When I believe that that's who I am, that I am a dearly loved, completely forgiven child of the King, that matters. Do you know why? Why does that matter? Because it changes what I do. If I remember word of the day, that that is true. It changes what I do. And here's the thing in church, so often we focus on what we do. And when we say, I'm struggling with this sin, we say, don't. You shouldn't struggle with that sin. You should do something different. But change, like behavior modification is, doesn't help anybody. Now what we're talking about is my new reality as a follower of Christ because of the gospel changes what I do. That means something. That does something. So all of this remembering we've done this morning is so that I could tell you this next thing because this thing has been so deeply impacting in my own life to help me work through, continue to work through sin and repentance in my own life. So I'm going to start with this. Now, here's a list we just talked about that. Here's a list on the left. Oh, no. Sorry, that's my bad. No, you're, it's good. That's good. Sorry, I didn't mean to be so dramatic. Look at the left for a minute, okay? I had this whole thing where it's going to reveal the one on the right, but okay. Look at this. Has anyone ever struggled with any of the things on the left just by show of hands? Anyone struggle with sadness, anxiety? With, okay, not everybody, but most, okay? All right, now, for those of you who are Christians, followers of Jesus, since you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, by show of hands, have any of you struggled with any of those things on the left? But I mean after you came to faith, after you surrendered your life to Christ, you ever struggle with, okay, yeah, right? Why? We all struggle with sin even after we have trusted Christ for our salvation. Now, <clears throat> it's not quite the same, but if you were to just look at the list on the right for a minute, do you see what the list on the left has in common? <coughs> what is the list on the right, by the way? Anyone know? It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
Right. So the fruit of the Spirit is this, and the opposite of those things are on the left. The opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is sin. And what we see here is when the fruit of our life is sin, what do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to repent so that the fruit of our life is the fruit of the Spirit. But if this is all I gave you, then what am I saying? Modify your behavior. Dennis, I feel angry. Well, feel love. Repent of anger and feel love. Is that helpful to you? Well, I know what I'm doing wrong now. I know what I should be pursuing. How does that help me? Okay, so here's the tool. I think. Yes. All right. Start with me in the top left. I'm using one that is close to my heart, okay? A sin issue I have been struggling with for a long time that I have talked with you about that I think a lot of you struggle with as well because you've come up to me and said, I struggle with that as well. This is not something you repent of once and never experience again. So let's just use this as an, as an example. But you could take this process with any one of those sin issues or any sin issue in your own life, and you could walk through this. So we start in the top left with where I am, anxious. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm frustrated. So who do I believe that I am? What do I believe about myself? It's not what do I know, what do I believe, because those are different. I want everyone to like me. I really do. It's important to me that everybody likes me. So thank you for being so nice to me all the time. Okay? Sometimes I feel anxiety because I feel like I have to be in control, like it's up to me to take care of everything and fix everything and make sure that it's right. And my version of right is very precise. And so I get frustrated about making sure that everything is in order. And that can happen in lots of different areas. Sometimes I feel anxiety or worry or frustration because I just feel like, why am I having to do this by myself? Where did you go, Lord? Because clearly this is a problem, and I guess I'm just going to have to take care of it on my own. This is who I believe that I am, kind of the solo, independent guy. I've got to take care of these things on my own. It's my job to fix it. I'm in control of it, and it's my job to make sure everybody is satisfied with it and okay with me and likes me. So at the root of it, what do I believe that God has done? If we took just those three things as an example, well... God doesn't love me or he wouldn't have put me in this situation or maybe God just doesn't have the power, the control to fix my situation or else he would have done that already or maybe he's not here at all. Maybe God just left and he said, hey, try this on for a while. I'm gonna go do some other stuff. Good luck. Now, it's hard to even say that because we never say things about God that sound like that but we believe things like that about God all the time. And this is the difference that I want to point out to you. It's not what you know. It's what you believe. If the fruit of my life is anxiety, there's something about God that I don't believe. I might know it, but I don't believe it. And at the root of my anxiety, who do I believe that God is? Well, I believe that he's uncaring and or powerless and or distant. That doesn't sound good just saying it out loud. But that's where I am in my anxiety. God, why don't you care? God, why don't you fix it? God, where did you go? Now, do I need to repent of my anxiety? No. I need to repent of my unbelief. I need to repent that there's something about God I don't believe, and it's this. 
So I might come to God and say, God, I need to repent because you know what? I, don't, I believe you're uncaring. I don't believe you care for me or you love me. I believe you're powerless or you left me. And I know that's not true. How do I know that? How do I know who God is? Kids, through his, I know who God is through his word, through the Bible, right? What does God's word tell me? If I repent, now we start from the bottom up. If I were to repent of my unbelief, I know that God is loving. I know that God is powerful. I know that God is near. I know all those things are true from his word. But I could tell you that, and that's still not helpful. Maybe I need to show you that. How do I know that God is loving? I know that God is loving because he sent his son to die in my place so that we could be together. How do I know that God is powerful? I know that God is powerful because he raised his son from the dead, among many other things that he did to demonstrate his power. I know that he's powerful because he overcame death and sin and Satan. I know that God is near because in Matthew 28, he said, I'm going to stay with you till the very end. And then when Jesus leaves, he says, it's going to be better because I'm going to give you the very spirit of God to be with you, in you all the time. How much closer does he need to get? And if that's true, and I repent of a wrong view of God, and I turn to a right view of God and say, God, I know these things about you, and I know why I know these things about you, because I've seen you demonstrate these things in this way, then who does that say that I am? I'm a loved child of God. I don't need everybody to like me, because God likes me. He likes me a lot. He likes me Jesus much because that's what he paid for me. I'm under the protection of a powerful and loving father. I don't need to be in control. God's got it. And I'm his child, and he's powerful, and he will protect me. I'm not alone. I have the very spirit of God in me. What more do I need? So then, what do I do? What's the fruit of my life? I'm filled with peace. It's the fruit of the spirit. So if I come to you and I say, man, I'm really anxious, I'm really freaking out, and you say, dude, have peace, not helpful. If you say, what do you not believe about who God is and what he's done? That's helpful. That's hard, but that's helpful. When we struggle with sin, we remember word of the day. We remember who God is. We remember what he's done. And then we repent of a wrong view of God and we turn to a right view of God. The reason I wanted to share this with you this morning is because this has absolutely revolutionized the way that I pray and the way that I repent and the way that I confess sin because I don't confess anxiety anymore. I just confess unbelief and I do it a lot. And I just say, these are the things I don't believe about you, God, and forgive me of that and show me who you are. So then, should you pray? Should you read your Bible? Should you be in the Word every day? Should you have an accountability partner? Yes, all those things, yes. But why? We don't read the Bible to distract us from sinning and take up all our time so we don't have time to sin. We read the Bible so we know who God is and what He's done so that I can claim the truth of that over my life. And I know when I'm living in unbelief. I pray for the courage to live with what I 
know to be true instead of what I feel to be true. Because God, I don't feel like you're near, but I know you are. Give me the courage to live in a way where the fruit of my life is peace, even though I feel like you're far away. Do you see that? I have an accountability partner, not to tell me to stop sinning, but somebody to walk through this with me, to say, Dennis, what are you not believing about God? And let's sit down over coffee and let's get out a napkin and let's draw a tree on it. And let's remember our two things. What do you do? And who are you? What has God done? And who is he? And what are you not believing of that you need to repent of? If I could give you one thing, it would be this tree because it has absolutely changed the way I walk with Jesus. Because I can take any sin and I can put it through this grid and I can find my way to the fruit of the Spirit. And it is a work in progress. And you know that. It's why I used this example. It is a work in process. But by the grace of God, I'm going to figure this out. And then I'm going to move on to the next one. And I'm going to continually repent of my unbelief until God rescues me out of that and just says, hey, come home and rest and be with me, your loving Father, the one who created you, the one who desires relationship with you, the one who chased you down and loved you so much that you couldn't help but surrender your life to me. Come home and be with me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And we get to do that. We get to do that. Don't forget don't forget. Remember and repent. I love you guys so much. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you so much for your gospel, for who you are and what you've done. And I just pray that we would never forget but that we would always remember and that we would remember to claim the truth of the gospel over our lives and over our sin and that we would constantly repent. And we are so sorry that we don't take you at your word and we don't trust you and we don't believe you. And help us through the power of your spirit, give us the courage to believe when it's hard. We know we can trust you, but help us to actively trust you. We know that you're good and loving and present. Help us to believe it and help our actions to demonstrate that, that the world might look at how we behave and say that doesn't make any sense and we would say it only makes sense by the love of God. We love you so much. We're so grateful to you. Thank you for this time. In your name, amen. Praise God. Praise God for this morning and... I have no idea what to say except thank you, thank you for the privilege of being your pastor. We love you desperately. I hope you know that. Praise God who has allowed us to be a part of something like this. Hearing these words, Brian, thank you. This is why we came. And God has done something amazing. And I cannot wait to see what he does next. So thank you for the privilege we love you desperately. We hope to see you tonight. Thanks. You're dismissed.